This is Chef Jeremy McLaughlin with Salty Seafood Grills, and you are listening to Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else happened to drop by today. It's officially spring in the Pacific Northwest, and we're here to celebrate all the good things coming our way as a result. I'm Connie Adams, and today I'm joined by our Seattle Dining publisher, Tom Marin, and a number of special guests from my neighborhood of Queen Anne. This is the April 2015 show, show number 1504. It's our second time doing the show, and I'd like to thank everyone for their feedback about the first show, which helps us to refine what we're doing and provide you with 60 minutes of food information and fun about Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. To kick it off, Tom and I are going to talk about just a few places around town, around the area that we've eaten recently and wanted to share with you. All right. So uh, the first one I have on the list here is a place called Gabriel's Fire. If uh, if you like barbecue and you're always on the hunt for good barbecue, this is one worth checking out. It's uh, up in the Montlake Terrace area. And it used to be located there on uh, the corner or near the corner of 80th and 24th several years ago but then they moved out and they went up north and they got a nice little thing going on up there they've got a a small little bar they got some beers on tap but they got pretty good barbecue and uh, Derek and I have been up there a few times now and checked it out and I I tried to get you up there the other night but they were not open on Mondays so uh, so before you go check the hours online for Gabriel's Fire in Montlake Terrace Now, I went to Thai Fusion Bistro the other night, and that is in Thornton Place at Northgate. It's just a little place in there with the theaters and the apartments and all that. And uh, I was really pleasantly surprised. It was uh, a a nice atmosphere. The food was very flavorful. We had some some vegetables with peanut sauce on it. We tried some uh, noodles with shrimp. Very good. And the other fun thing is that they have a really interesting cocktail list. I tried a blackberry margarita and it was delicious. And then I was also recently at Sunfish on Alki and that has been around a long time. I'm talking 30 years or more, something like that. Nicest people, same people have owned it the whole time. It's great fish and although it is deep fried, you don't get greasy deep fried things there. It's just light and lovely. They they only take cash. Oh, yeah, you want to know that before you go. Yes. Wasn't there another place called the Kingfish? Why are all these fish places are cash only now? The Kingfish is gone, yeah. but it was uh, it was a cash only place. Yep. Well, yeah, it was. They yeah. didn't take cards. Didn't I think take they took cards. checks. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I let's see. On the last show, we were talking about glows, and we were talking about my quest for the perfect corned beef hash. Yes. And I actually stumbled into some good corned beef hash the other day. It wasn't greasy. I kind of like mine with the same texture you might get out of the can, but I don't like it greasy. And uh, amazingly enough, I found it at the Colonial Kitchen, which is uh, up there in the Edmonds area. Um, I like that place. Yeah, I know. We, we, we go up there, and I know I've had the corned beef hash there before and not been blown away by it. 
But uh, I went in and got it last Saturday, and it was really good. Um, well, you know there was an ownership change. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. I did notice the new people in there, and they're very nice and friendly, and all the customers are still friendly with them and all that. So I know somebody who um, sells some things to them, and when they went up, they said that the new owner, the woman, recognized them right off. So he thinks that she was – working there for years and probably bought from the owner. She's an Asian woman, and, and uh, they're both Asian. Oh, and, uh, maybe not then. So I don't know. But um, what I liked about it was it wasn't, wasn't greasy. It was the same texture I might get out of the can. Uh, it's also only a special on weekends, so you won't find it on the menu if you try to go up on a weekday. Okay. Um, another place that you and I have gone numerous times, and I like for – a variety of reasons is the Wedgwood broiler. It is kind of a throwback. It's just a great. I've never eaten in the restaurant. I, we always go into the bar, and they have these great little petite curved booths, so two or three people can sit in a booth, and it's really nice. They do prime rib on Friday and Saturday nights. They have a house salad that I just love. It has cheese it crackers on it instead of croutons. And they have a French dressing, which is kind of a throwback anymore. It's just – I really enjoy it. It's just kind of a fun place to go. And and one of the things I like about it is you don't expect a restaurant to be in now the cosmopolitan city of Seattle where we have all these fancy fine dining places and that sort of thing. So you know, we have so many people moving here all the time. And um, what I want to try to do when we talk about places like Wedgwood Broiler is to try to get people to know there are some of the old throwback type places, kind of comfort food type places. They're out there, but you got to find them. So if you know if you're a recent transplant to the Pacific Northwest, uh, make your way on up to the Wedgwood neighborhood. You don't know where it is? Well, then it's your goal. You have to go find out where it is <laughs> and find the Wedgwood Broiler and check it out. Now, the next one I was going to mention is not a throwback or a local neighborhood thing. It's one of the Anthony's restaurants, and it's the one at Alderwood, the only one not on water. But the reason I bring it up is because I met some people there after work last week, and they do a happy hour that's quite good. They've got a number of food items on it and five or six specialty cocktails, but they do happy hour seven days a week from 3 p.m. to close. Oh, that sounds good. That's so, what I call the working man's happy hour. Exactly. You can get there if you're working till 6 or 7 because they're doing it till they close. And they don't do it on holidays any time they really book out the restaurant. But basically, it's seven days a week all year long. And, and it was quite tasty. I wonder if maybe they're on top of a wetland, and that's how they got away with being near the water. That must be what it is. Yeah, that old Alderwood Mall, that might have been built up on a wetland. Good thinking. (laughs) Do you have another one to bring up? Oh, let me do one more here. Um, I always like going over to the Saffron Grill over the Northgate area on the other side of I-5 across from from the Northgate Mall. And uh, the guy does a really good job in there. He's got a good staff. Always a good show. They have a good happy hour, and I think that runs until 7. But uh, the food is really good, and they have this chili masala that I love to get. And so if you if you like uh, spicy – what do they call it? Yeah, it's a chili masala. Yeah. That's what they yeah. call it. If you like a little more spice in your food and you like masala, you got to try it out. I don't see that on a lot of menus. Maybe the nearest thing I see to it is something like a vindaloo, but – that's uh, that's not the same thing as a masala. So they also do a wonderful sog, and I always get that with prawns, and it's just delicious. 
All right, then. I think we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll be talking about News Bites, what's happening in the world of eating. Yum. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Alexandria Nicole Sellers, wines of approachable elegance with tasting rooms in Prosser and Woodenville. Hi, I'm Josh from Capitol Hill. I can't make up my mind what my favorite place is yet. are back and this is the news bites portion of the show where we recap some of the happenings that are going on in the food and restaurant industry around the Puget Sound and beyond. So let me tell you what's happening here. I think my big news this week is that I talked with Cody Morris and Travis Kukul of um, Epic Ales and Gastropod down in the uh, Soto area and they have signed a lease in the South Lake Union area and they're going to have a second location. It's going to be quite a bit bigger, 5,000 square feet Right now, they've got a three-barrel system for the brewing, and it's going to be a seven-barrel system down there, and they'll have a larger kitchen as well. So that's very exciting. They're hoping for an August opening. you think they'll have any parking? You know, it is in a building called the True North Apartment Building, so I'm assuming that they're going to have some retail parking in the building. Um, you know, otherwise, South Lake Union is a bit of a hassle, but they are very specific about wanting to help create a neighborhood and community. There's 275 apartments in that building. Wow. And there's a lot of other buildings around there, condos and apartments going in. So they're going to do things like Cody's going to sell wort to people for their own home brewing. And Yeah, I, I, that's you know. what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, when you're going to go down there and do a business now, you almost have to do it where you're going to rely almost solely on the local people. Yeah. Well, and that building also is going to have a private kitchen on the top floor. So they're hoping to do private parties for the people in the building and things like that. So they've got a whole bunch of plans already. Hmm. Um, over on the east side, it was announced that there is going to be a new W Hotel. So there's one downtown Seattle, and that's the only one in Washington. So Bellevue will be the second one. That's coming in the spring of 2017. Of course, that's going to mean some more restaurants over there. It's part of a larger Lincoln Square mixed-use project. So there's going to be the hotel. They're going to have um, over 200 luxury apartments as well as the hotel. It's a $1.2 billion expansion. Wow. There's going to be an office tower and 180,000 square feet of retail, dining, and entertainment. So now, Remember, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when they had all those projects that were just stuck in the mud? Stuck. Hope they get them done this time. Yeah. Um, in Fremont, there is a new barbecue place on its way, Drunkies Two Shoe Barbecue. And uh, this is brought to you by the man who owns $9 million in unmarked bills in, in Fremont. And the chef is the chef who was at Armadillo when, he was, when it was in Woodenville. So that's coming in April, 4105 Leary Way Northwest. Um, perhaps Lots of stuff in Fremont. We yeah. were down there walking around there the other night and realizing, man, we got to really go in and do an update on our directory because there's mm-hmm. so much new stuff. And Yeah, things change fast. Yeah. Um, um, kind of old news uh, of a week or so, but Biscuit Bitch opened a second location, and that's at 2303 3rd Avenue in Belltown. So their first one is uh, down by the market. Um, and then Josh Henderson has a bunch of stuff opening. Um, and I was kind of laughing because he'd said to someone in an interview, well, I just 
a lot of things came up, and they all seemed like great deals, and I didn't want to pass them up. And that is exactly what he said when he was opening Hollywood Tavern and Westward and all those other ones yeah. at the same time. So he's kind of a master, I think, at uh, juggling all these details. And How many places does he have now? He must have over a dozen. Well, you know, he's the one who started Skillet, but he's uh, uh, he's certainly got his hand in there, but he's not really running Skillet anymore. It's a mostly, I don't know if he sold it off. He, he didn't completely sell it off, but so he's not completely in that. And then he's got his Huxley Wallace collection. So, um, right, which includes know. like, uh, what is it, Westport? Westward. Westward, yeah. But he doesn't, I don't believe he has Hollywood Tavern anymore. Oh. That's somebody else took over that. So, um, he, you know, he loves to start things and, yeah. and then find new things to do. So, anyway, that's what's going on there. Um, Brian Clevenger, if you remember this name, he was a chef at Serafina. Then he went to Ethan Stoll and worked at Tavolata and Staple and Fancy. He is opening his own place called, I believe it's Vendemia, in June in Madrona at eleven twenty six thirty fourth Avenue. So there, he's uh, you know Mr. Italian here. He's been at all these Italian places. He's going to be making his own pasta in house. It's a brand new building. He'll have thirty five seats and a chef counter. So that's going to be fun to that look forward fun. to. And Tanglewood Supreme in Magnolia has a new chef. So Irvin Diaz is the chef there now. He worked formerly at Rovers before it closed. He's worked at Luke, and he's worked at Brasa. So he's got some pretty high credentials there. Yeah. And then if you remember way back, there was Jillian's Sports Bar, I think, and now then it turned into World Sports Grill. Now it's going to be Art Marble 21. I have no idea. Hmm. And so far I haven't heard what it's going to be. The general thinking was probably another sports place, but I don't know for sure. Uh, and one of the last things I was going to talk about was downtown. Um, if you remember the First United Methodist Church, which is that beautiful old church, and it turned into the Mars Hill Church. It's still there, right? It's still there, but yeah. of course Mars Hill isn't. It's on 5th and uh, Seneca? Spring, Spring or Seneca. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, it's going to be turned into a restaurant. The main sanctuary will be a restaurant, and then in the basement there will be ballrooms. They're still in the design phase, um, it's, uh, the Daniels Research Company or something, who own it, and they're they're going to do this. So wow. this is also 2017. We're out there a ways. They said we're still very much in the in the design phase, but that's the plan. Hmm. So um, you can follow our news bites as they happen by following our Twitter account, which is at Seattle Dining One or watching the News Bites column on our website at seattledining.com and just click on News Bites. We'll be right back with calendar highlights for April. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by The Fireside Restaurant, located at the resort at Port Ludlow. Hi, I'm Roseanne Finkel. And I'm Charles Finkel. We're from the Pike Brewing Company. And you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show.
of what we're doing here today is uh, being done up here on Queen Anne Hill. And if you're hearing any noise in the background, um, don't feel too bad about it because it's uh, it's a fan on a nearby restaurant that's going. So, you know, that's, that's all part of our Seattle dining thing. We like to have those restaurant fans in the background whenever we're doing the show, hopefully, you know. Uh, anyways, it's a it's a busy calendar for the month of April. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of Easter stuff going on. So Connie's going to tip us off uh, to sort of an Easter roundup here. There are so many uh, Easter things, and they're almost all brunches, and they're all going to offer something a little different. So I'm just going to tell you that the Captain Whidbey Inn has a Easter brunch going on, and it's a buffet. Um, Port Ludlow has a great buffet, and you know they are getting their product locally. That's going to be very delicious. Barking Frog has an Easter brunch going on over in the Sammamish Ballroom. They've got a brunch served there. And then after that, children under 12 can participate in the special Easter scavenger hunt around the property, which would be fun. I know they have those pigs over there at the Barking Frog. Do you think they have some Easter bunnies running around right now? I don't know, but Borage and Basil, the potbelly pigs, are there. Yeah. Uh, Sullivan Steakhouse has an Easter brunch happening. They've got some lobster bisque. Who's going to turn that down? Serafina has an Easter brunch. And then uh, Tulalip uh, Resort and Casino has a brunch going on. But the, the part I like about their brunch is that they've got an adult brunch, and they've got a kid's knee-high buffet, which I think is funny. I don't know if they've got it on a lower table so they can reach it or if it's piled knee-high with food. Either way, it's great. And then Semiamu up in Blaine has an Easter brunch and egg hunt. And if you've been up there on that property, it's just beautiful. So I can imagine that that egg hunt will be fun. And they also have a special area set aside for kids four and under, so they don't get trampled over by the older kids. And that's always a bonus. So that's kind of Easter stuff. We've got a three-week beginning wine tasting class coming up with sommelier Dieter Schaefer. That starts on the 14th of April, and I believe that takes place at um, so Seattle So it's going to be on three Tuesdays during April, huh? Yeah, down at South Seattle. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be fun. Um, he makes everything interesting, and you'll really come away with a lot of interesting information. The Woodenville Reserve, a white and rosé affair, is coming up on the 19th of April, over in Woodenville Wine Country. Um, I'm looking at, they've got a lot of information here. Um, a variety of hearty bites from award winning Pacific Northwest chefs. Um, and then there are two levels of fun and unique experiences. Upstairs features 30, over 30 wineries. Downstairs, everyone's welcome to the Red Vault Room featuring award winning red wines. That's going to be taking place at Novelty Hill Janik Winery. So that's something to check into and make your reservations. I'm sure that's going to be very popular. And also the, the, you know, the big daddy of things in April is Restaurant Week. So that's taking place April 12th through the 16th and the 19th through the 23rd. And that's three courses for $30. And I don't remember what it was last year, but this year there are over, over 165 restaurants wow. involved. So wow. if you can't find something you like at Restaurant Week, just – Give up because <laughs> it's amazing. So, well, we got one more thing going on that I know of. What's that? 
Um, our sister magazine, Seattle or uh, Soundwriter, has a event that we run every year called Cafe to Cafe. And uh, what it is is the people who play get a list of 15 cafes, and they can go visit any of those cafes between now and the end of September. And then we tally up all the points. So when they go and they visit, they get a number card. They get their picture taken in front of that restaurant. And uh, and they score points for every restaurant they go to. They score points for if they uh, buy food. And we have all kinds of different prizes at the end. Um, we built that event for the motorcycle community, but I've never turned anybody down if they want to go do it in their car. So if you live here in the Puget Sound and you're fed up with the traffic, quit your job, get yourself a cafe-to-cafe <laughs> package, and take yourself on an awesome tour of the Pacific Northwest. We change the restaurants every year, so it's never the same restaurants two years in a row. Uh, people go to Idaho, Montana, Oregon, Washington. This year we have a restaurant down in California. We've got one up in BC. So if you're if you're into traveling around, you need a good reason to go. Uh, cafe to cafe. It's Just a, look that up on Soundwriter.com. Very fun. And then there's an awards event at the end of it all and people come together and just have a great time talking about everything they saw. Yes, we call it bench racing. We tell all the stories. All right, we're going to take a break and be back with our first guest. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Andaluca, located in the Mayflower Hotel. Hi, my name's Alan. I live on Lower Queen Anne, and some of my favorite restaurants are Canlis and Toulouse Petite. are fortunate to have owner and chef Sam Crannell of Lloyd Martin with us today. How are you, Sam? I'm doing great. And yourself? Just fine. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Hey, you opened Lloyd Martin in October of 2011, and basically your concept at the time was no concept. You wanted to have no limitations on what you were doing. So after three plus years, is that concept still the way you're doing things? I think that uh, we're accomplishing that goal really well. Uh, we uh, still continue to cook uh, food from all over the world, use flavors from all over the world, um, and ingredients from all over the world. Uh, a lot of them still are rooted in um, you know, Northwest uh, farm products, uh, which we really, really like. And uh, But overall, yeah, we've, we've changed our menu more times than I ever thought we would. Oh, wow. I was just going to ask, what's it like to come up with something new every day? Because you you depend a lot on what you find fresh that morning. I think that really what it comes down to is is allowing yourself to uh, be simplest simplistic mm-hmm. and to really just uh, look at the ingredient and say, if I was a carrot, what would I like to be today? <laughs> Something as simple as that. And you may go, we want coriander. We might want a little honey with that and then some lemon. And boom, the dish is done. It's yeah. it's really just using lots of uh, uh, flavor profiles that work well together. Yeah. Now, when you opened, there were two of you in the kitchen. Is that still kind of what it is, or are there more people back there? Oh, there's basically just two of us uh, daily. We have a line cook that comes in around two and helps out, and then we have uh, a dishwasher. But when we opened, there was no one there. It was just two of us. Yeah, It's a small space, almost 
can't get more than two in there. This is very true. Uh, what what I like to say is, um, if, if you work in the kitchen, uh, nobody uh, uh, gets to enjoy food more than me. Put it that way. <laughs> is that PC? <laughs> you know, when you open, people actually waited and and sometimes got turned away because the lines were so long out the door. Has it sort of evened out? It seems like you're full every time I walk by. It is a, it is a really interesting uh, process of booking a restaurant. When we first opened, we didn't take reservations. Then we started taking reservations. Then we were reservation only. And now we just take reservations and allow for walk-ins and uh, keep space available for that every night so that locals can still come and eat if, on a whim if they'd like to. Yeah. And um, that seems to work out pretty well. Um I think just like every restaurant in the city currently, there's, you know, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is still a, a days where everybody's looking, how do I get people into my restaurant? Yeah. But other than that, it's been going extremely well. Yeah, it's it looks busy all the time, which is wonderful. We love that. Oh yeah, so do I. You know, we talked about how small your kitchen is and it and there's a lot of small kitchens around Seattle, but yours is really small. What have been the challenges? What equipment do you have in the kitchen? And have you worked around that lack of space? Um, there's a lot of different things that we've tried and a lot of things that have worked and a lot of things that have failed. Um, if you've been there on some nights, uh, we were talking earlier about how smoky it may get. Um, it's all due to how many people come in, how many people order the same things, and how it all happens sometimes at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, when that happens, there's a lot less control that we have over the environment, but it's something that we take into consideration every day. A lot of the food that we uh, uh, make there is uh, cooked on induction burners. It's cooked in an oven. Um, and a lot of it, um, as far as proteins goes, is cooked in a process called reverse sous vide. Oh. Uh, so we're actually taking the product, we're preparing it uh, in sous vide, and then taking it out, searing it off ahead of time, and then putting it back in sous vide so it stays medium rare or medium, whatever temperature we're going after. Um, and that's usually just for steaks or for anything that's cooked to a temperature, um, including duck. Um, everything else is cooked traditionally. We just have to go about it in some different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but lots of induction cooking um, and uh, really, I think, being careful about how you're cooking. Yeah. Well, this, this question may kind of have already been answered a little bit, but I was wondering what over that three and a half years or almost three and a half, what's changed or surprised you being an owner? Because it's your uh, first restaurant. Yeah, it is my first restaurant. It That's a really interesting thing. I still don't feel like I'm an owner. I still mm -hmm. feel like I'm a, uh, a chef uh, that has a lot more responsibility. Um, <laughs> I uh, feel like it's difficult at times being a chef and an owner within that to find out where do I draw the line on being a chef for the day and where do I draw a line on being an owner. I look at the owner as the business side of my, you know, of what I'm doing, and the chef is still the playful side. So, if anything, it, there's a there's a constant battle that's going on. Oh. Yeah. And that was maybe unexpected. That was definitely unexpected. I mm -hmm. thought that they would get along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Siblings, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate appreciate about you is that you're very into the neighborhood you're in. Mm -hmm. And um, you, we were talking one day about how you try and organize things within the Queen Anne community. Mm -hmm. And then one day we saw you outside the olive oil company um, doing a neighborhood event. You were serving some food. 
and it was bitterly cold that day. And I was like, my God, how can you stand to, to be out here and so cold? And you're like, oh, this is nothing. No. You're from back east. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, have you acclimated? Is this home now? I, I think Seattle is definitely home. I've been here for 11 years. Uh, I believe that makes me a true Seattleite. I still have Chicago needs. I like hot dogs and pizza <laughs> um, and uh, really bad uh, baseball teams. So I'm kind of uh, at kind home. Kind of at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... But no, I love Seattle. It's a beautiful place. The people here are just fantastic. Um, you know, and and the home of Queen Anne has is, is been something that uh, I didn't know if I would be able to connect or not. And I really have uh, with uh, the, the people that live up here and even all the other businesses that are up here. I try to utilize them as much as possible. And uh, I really try to rally everybody together because we're really a, a lot stronger and we're a lot more interesting as a team as we are, you know, being all our own individual selves and not working together. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not very strong that way. So anything that deals with food or art, I'm, I'm into it, and I want to pull everybody together. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, my last question for you today is that early on your plan was to establish, and I'm not re- remembering if it was Lloyd Martin's in a bunch of different neighborhoods mm-hmm. or if it was kind of different concepts in different neighborhoods. Is that still the goal? Uh, I think it is. This is uh, – Uh, Coming up here next week, we're doing Sloppy Hop Barbecue, which is going to be a Mm. pop-up for four days. Ah. Um, And it's something that's completely different from what we normally do. In the past, we've also done a Spanish tapas bar. We were also a Mexican restaurant. So what I've done is I've established three different concepts with three different menus that are capable of going into any neighborhood and taking care of a neighborhood um, with those themes. And so, yeah, I think that's the goal. the current goal is to find uh, Lloyd Martin a, a slightly more suitable location um, and a kitchen that uh, is a professional kitchen, one with a hood and maybe even gas. So you'd oh, go from uh, being hoodless in Seattle to being a full restaurant. I would love to do that. And we want you to do that on Queen Anne. <laughs> yeah. Just if you have to move one block or so, that's fine. Well, that's why he was enjoying being outside of the olive oil company oh, that yeah. day. He actually had some ventilation going on. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. You thank bet. you, Sam. And I want to thank you for your support of Cooking with Class as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, I have fun with it. It's great. And for all of you, uh, Lloyd Martin is located at 1525 Queen Anne Avenue North on top of Queen Anne. We will be right back with our next guest. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Ponte Seafood Grill. Hello, this is Chef Wayne Johnson, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. the Seattle Dining Show, and uh, we've been interviewing a number of people up on Queen Anne Hill, on top, and uh, you know, if you like good wine, now Queen Anne Hill has a tasting room, and uh, a very good one indeed. Connie, go ahead, tell us more. 
Well, we're lucky to have Bob Harris of Robert Ramsey Sellers with us today. Thanks, Bob, for being here. My pleasure. Let's uh, start back to when you started the winery in 2005. I believe you began with one Syrah. In the past 10 years, what else have you made and, and how many cases? That's a big question. Um, we now make 14 different wines. Wow. Uh, a, a number of those, say half of them, are, are straight varietals um, that span Cabernet, Syrah, Grenache, Morvedra, Cunoise, and Cinso. Um, five of those six, not the Cabernet, are, are known as Rhone varietals um, because they all uh, made their debut many hundreds of years ago in the Rhone Valley of France. Um, the Spanish would take exception to that. They probably had uh, a number of those ahead of time. Uh. Um, but the French were better marketers, apparently. Always the case. Yeah. So we currently make about 3,000 cases of wine. Um, that first Syrah, I made 125 cases of. So steady growth over yeah. a decade. Um, and it's, it's, it's a blast. Uh, I, we make Rhone bridles because I love them. They're okay. full of dearth, or excuse me, earth and dirt. <laughs> And uh, um, and spice and that's the kind of thing I like. Mm-hmm. I love that a little bit leather, mm-hmm. leathery and yeah, so good. Now, do you make all the wine yourself, or do you have someone on else on staff? I I used to make all the wine. My it was easier when there was 125 cases of wine to make. <laughs> um, now I have a partner in crime, uh, uh-huh. and uh, my my winemaking partner today is Casey Cobble. Um, and she uh, graduated from the South uh, Central Community College oh. program, wine program, in Seattle, and then spent four years um, working uh, at Betts under Bob Betts. Oh wow! Uh, wow. A- as an assistant winemaker, um, and now she's uh, she's working with us. Oh, that's so, great! Uh, she does all the heavy lifting. I've been reduced to a decision maker. Um, <laughs> so we work really well together, and. Uh, a lot of that work has to do with, you know, winemaking protocols, blending, marriage of oak and varietal, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer blends or do you like the straight varietals? <laughs> I, I, I love blending wine. Um, okay. Blending is, is a blessing. Um, you can really be more creative, if you will, when you mm-hmm. blend. Um, most of the blends that we do are inspired by winemaking regions in the old world that have been using the same varietals for God knows how long. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a wine that's inspired by uh, the Chateau Neuf du Pop area of, of uh. France um, called Limien, and it, it's, it's, it uses a lot of the varietals that are found there. Um, we have a blend called uh, Parlemer, which is inspired by the Bandol region, which is by the sea okay. in, in southern France. Uh, so I, I love to do that. It's also inspirational to find a varietal in a vineyard that can stand on its own, um, which kind of represents the other half of what we do. Okay. That is pretty exciting, I would think. It's great. It, it's so yeah. good. I can't, I can't not bottle this on its own. That's yeah. the kind of reaction you... So that, I but, would imagine that changes from year to year then, too, because you might not feel that way the next year. It does to some extent, um, but a lot of that is just the, the expression of the year in the microclimate more than it's not good enough this year. Oh, okay. Well, when, yeah. you're, when you're blending here in Washington State, um, are you giving yourself the freedom to get the, the various grapes from any of the different AVAs here in the state, or do you go for a single AVA and get different grapes from there? 
That's a good question. Uh, I, I am, am not bigoted towards any particular AVA. Um, so we do get uh, grapes mainly from – well, we get them from four AVAs, and some of them are nested within each other, so it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. But um, what I'm really looking for is the right vineyard and varietal combination. Um, and that has a lot to do with the varietal and the microclimate. Um, but that said, the, for me anyway, the most important factor in the microclimate, other than potentially the soil, is the farmer. Um, these guys don't tend to get enough credit because they control so many of the variables in that microclimate. Yeah, that's true. Um, Eastern Washington, they control the, the water flow, which isn't the case if you go down to, say, or, uh, the west coast of Oregon. Yeah, so they're they're controlling watering, they're controlling canopy management, they're controlling crop load, um, and it, it just kind of goes on and on. Um, their trellis system, um, how efficient they are at managing the vineyard. Um, so the relationships that I have uh, with those different vineyards are all long-term relationships, um, multi-year contracts. I get the same fruit off the same vine year after year okay. after year. And that's more important to me um, than it is to say, oh, I want this bridal from this AVA. Mm-hmm. And you've had a lot of those relationships for quite some time, years, right? I have, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been doing this now professionally, if you will, for 15 years. Wow. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, one, two, th- three of those of the five relationships or vineyards that we get grapes from, I've known for more than 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. When it's right. When it's right, it's right. And, oh. and the fascinating thing that's starting to happen at this point in my career anyway is that those guys are getting old. Yes. But I've, it's been really neat to see that in all three cases of these guys that are getting older, their sons are following in their footsteps. Mm-hmm. And over the last few years, I've started to gain confidence in the fact that this not. is really a multi-generational uh, It's not going to die potential. out when somebody yeah. isn't going to work anymore. Yeah. Who are some of those uh, managers? Uh, Rob Andrews at McKinley Springs. Oh, yeah. His son, Justin. Um, Dick Bechtel at Finney Hill. And he's got a, a couple of sons that are helping him now. Oh, great. Um, and, uh, and then the uh, – Upland Vineyards on Snipes Mountain, which is uh, managed by uh, the Newhouse family, which is okay. literally four generations of farmers on the same land. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing when you go back into their history, too, how some of those have been families, uh, farming families for generations and generations, and yeah. it turned over to grapes at some point. Exactly. But it's pretty amazing. The Newhouses actually were growing uh, wine grapes prior to Prohibition, and then they, they ripped them all out. Oh, uh, God. And then, of course, at some point, started back in. What's your overall concept, and what do you want your wines to express? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I've, am looking for the, the finesse in Washington soils. Um, I'm, we build wines that we hope are extremely well-balanced, very food friendly, mm-hmm. um, are not overpowering. Uh, we use very little new oak, so we're, we try to have that be an element of the recipe. But oak is kind of like salt; you add a little bit too much, and you can tell. 
mm-hmm. and overwhelms. Yeah, and so we're really looking for that balanced finesse kind of wine, and the, and the varietals we use tend to lend themselves to that. Syrah a little less so, uh, but the the Southern Rhone varietals, the Grenache, the Mavedra, the Cunois, and the Cinso, lend themselves to being very well balanced, very earthy, um, spicy, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 full of finesse if they're I think if they're made well. Definitely. Um, now, have you? Did you work at other wineries before you started your own? Um, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I did a little bit. Um, I, I was very fortunate to have relationships when I started on this this uh, crazy adventure, um, who were already in the wine industry, uh, both in small and, and large wineries. Mm-hmm. So I spent I spent time with them. They were wonderful advisors to me and friends. I and I worked at at their places a, a little bit. Okay. Um, but the the first winery I started, I I, I kind of dove in, um, and uh, it, it fortunately I didn't make any bad mistakes. <laughs> fortunately, yeah. It's not looking that way now. The the wines are wonderful. Thank you. Now, your tasting room in Woodenville opened in 2009, and that's still there in the warehouse district? Yeah, that's where the winery is as well. Oh, okay. So the tasting room is is nestled into a small corner, if you will, of the actual working winery. Okay, okay. And then in 2014, you opened the what I call the non-tasting room on Queen Anne. And I don't know what you guys call it, because it's not a tasting room like you go in and get a few tastes um, and try something. It's... It's almost cafe-like. Yeah, kind of like a wine can... bar, isn't it? Well, we, we, we actually um, we spent a whole lot of time torturing ourselves over this exact question. It's not a tasting room. And we also came to the conclusion it's not a wine bar because at a wine bar you would get, you know, a hundred different choices of, yeah, of different true. producers and whatnot. Yeah. So we, uh, we fudged it. We went right down the middle and we called it a wine room. Ah, there you go. Um, so we, we officially uh, call the Queen Anne location the Queen Anne Wine Room. And the idea behind it was to bring something to the neighborhood. Yeah. And 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 it's your wine, obviously nobody else's, but you've got some food items. Yep. We we wanted to a to to explore having um, a presence in the city and ultimately potentially moving the winery oh, to okay. the city. Um, I would like to to walk to work. That, that would be was great. Really, I know it's not very inspired, but that's kind of the the underlying <laughs> driver. Um, and we also live five blocks away, um, so we wanted to provide something to the community around us. Mm-hmm. Um, we also wanted to explore a model where instead of like you said, you 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 give wine away. Mm-hmm. And hope people buy a bottle. <laughs> that we would uh, we would sell it by the glass uh, and and by flights mm-hmm. of different kinds of wines, uh, so people could try things um, and then have some ambiance, you know, to go with that, which meant food mm-hmm. and some live music and things like that. Yeah, that's fun to walk into the building and hear the piano playing. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I grew up playing the piano. Um, oh. In fact, I, I've threatened now um, <laughs> to actually play that piano. Um, and I'm kind of out of practice, but Sue is on my case big time. Uh-oh. She's the the uh, wine room manager. Exactly. She's great. Yeah. Now, are all the wines you make available 
at the wine room and the tasting room, or are some just like yes. uh, wine club? There, we have wines um, have in the past, and and, and we you know th- there were limited selections mm-hmm. um, that sold out really fast. Mostly, just wine club members got them and wiped them out. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, now we're making more of those those wines. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it seemed like a, a smart business decision. So we have we d- we don't have that problem as much as we did. Okay. There are definitely wines that only get sold in the wine room on Queen Anne and in the tasting room or okay. two wine club members that never see a wine shop, a retail okay. a bottle shop, or a, a, a restaurant list mm-hmm. um, because we don't need to do that. That reminds me of another question is where can people get this besides the wine room or the tasting room? Are they Do you sell to a lot of restaurants? Yeah. Uh, we distribute wine all over Washington um, and Idaho and Oregon. Uh, we're currently in... in and negotiations to do so in New York and, wow. and Minnesota. Um, so we, you can get too many more places than I can keep track of in my yeah. head. Um, but a lot of restaurants and bottle shops, uh, grocery stores that care, that have a wine steward. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can't find them in any of the places you want, then you should find the person in charge and tell them what they're missing out on. Exactly. And why they should carry the entire line. Please. <laughs> um, when you look back, I mean, clearly it seems like it's gone very well, but are there things you would change or do differently now that you've owned a, your own winery for 10 years, or what would you do the same? What's what's worked? Uh, so I, the, the overarching answer to that question is if I knew what I knew now, I never would have started. <laughs> Um, but I think that's the, the nature of a lot of entrepreneurial mm-hmm. ideas is by the time it's kind of working and you've got it figured out, you realize how risky uh, what you're doing was to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, a lot of it is just passion. And, and so uh, that seems to work well to, to care enough about it um, and to love it no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears you're putting in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is is the 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 difference between those that make it in the wine business and those that don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, other than getting into little details, which I don't think you guys would <laughs> be interested in. Um, Overall, good, good mentorship. Um, I didn't go to school. Uh, a, a lot of folks in the Washington wine industry, anyway, especially small wineries, they they don't. They don't have degrees in winemaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, especially in the big wineries, of course, they do. Um, I think that uh, there's kind of two different kinds of winemakers in the world. Um, there are the, the scientists and then there are the hedonists. Uh, being the hedonist, I've always maintained that you can teach a hedonist chemistry, but it's kind of difficult to teach a chemist hedonism. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that feel, <laughs> yeah. So, um, where do you think that came from for you? Did you oh, grow up around different flavor profiles, I, or <laughs> I, I had a mother that went back to to school to get her master's degree when I was about ten, and uh, she had a full time job. And I watched my dad and my brother start to eat Cheerios and Wheaties three meals a day, <laughs> and that just didn't work for me. Um, and so I taught myself how to cook. 
okay. And pretty soon I figured out that the, the best weapon I had was my nose. Um, and so I blame her. Uh, for uh, <laughs> this for leaving venture. you on your own, <laughs> yeah, and I think that that cooking and using my nose led to eventually to uh, making beer, and then hard cider, and then wine. Okay, and then you and then you had your eleventh birthday after that. Yeah, <laughs> directly after. <laughs> well, I guess we can all thank your mom for yeah, that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'd like to just reiterate that you guys should all get up to the top of Queen Anne and. And head into the taste the the wine room at sixteen twenty nine Queen Anne Avenue North, and try Bob's wines. They're fabulous. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, take care. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Ray's Boathouse and Cafe. Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm just now moving here to Washington in Tumwater, and I'm looking forward to finding the best restaurants that Seattle has to offer. the great things about doing a food magazine here in the Pacific Northwest is that we do have to go out from time to time and taste what's out beyond our Puget Sound region. So uh, one or both of us at different times goes out, and recently Connie took a trip down on the Oregon coast and visited a number of restaurants. And uh, Connie, tell us what you found. All right, I'd love to. Um, You know, when you go to some place like well, any of the beach towns that are relatively small, um, sometimes the places make it and sometimes they don't. So we we kind of look at places that have been there for a while. And in Seaside, the Twisted Fish Steakhouse has been there for a number of years now. It's got a lot of large booths along the windows. It's right on one of the main drags. It's not uh, not a view, water view or anything. But um, it's a pretty varied menu. There's going to be something for everybody. It's a very friendly staff. If you're more in a party mood, they have an, just a ginormous bar in the back of that place. So there's something always going on back there, sports or music or something. And then right up the street from them is Finn's Fish House, also on Broadway. And it's another great people-watching spot. They've got some sidewalk seating and a fireplace in the dining room. Both, obviously, are full-service bars. Um, and again, this is a very wide-ranging menu, so you're going to be able to find anything there. Um, the Shiloh Inn and Norma's Seafood have been there quite a while. These are going to be your kind of really beachy places. You're not going to find just uh, amazing fine dining experience, family places. You're going to have kids there. But for some, some people, these are the places they go every year. In Tillamook, when you're down in that area, there's a place called the Blue Heron French Cheese Company. I love that place. It's great, and it's very casual. It's a shop. It's a it's a wine shop, a deli, a place for live music. They have gift baskets you can buy. You just walk up to the counter and order, pick a table, and enjoy some really good food. And they, they've got salads, you won't believe. They've got all kinds of stuff, as well as some... Really fabulous cheese. A lot of good sandwiches and a lot of ingredients. So if there's something you want that's not on the menu, you can probably just ask them to make it for you and they have it there. 
Yeah, it's a great spot. You can get a glass of wine when you're in there. They got that tasting table down on the south side of the building, and yeah, and they've got some. Don't they have sheep or goats out in front too? It's kind of fun for the kids to. Well, go out and look. I know that whatever they're spraying on the uh, on the fields out there smells like sheep or goats, anyways. <laughs> Moving on to Lincoln City. There's a place called the Blackfish Cafe. Again, this does not have a water view, but the owner was the executive executive chef at Salishan Lodge, which is a very upscale resort from 85 to 99, and that's when they received their AAA Four Diamond and Mobile Four Star Awards. So he's got some serious cred. Um, he does a lot of local things with gardeners, farmers, and fishermen on the coast, so it's very fresh. Bay House is uh, a place that was built in 1937. It's always been a restaurant, but it became the Bay House in 78. Right on the water, great view. And they do um, new menus, pre-fee things, and they're posted daily around 5 p.m. And then they have an a la carte menu as well. Kylo's Restaurant is right on the water. It's a much more casual place, but the food was very good. We thought we, you know, we really enjoyed our lunch there. And it's great to just watch those waves roll in and the kids playing on the beach and the dogs pondering around. It's just fabulous. And then the surprise of this particular trip was that we went to the Inn at Spanish Head to the restaurant there called Fathom's Penthouse Restaurant. I don't always have the highest hopes for places in hotels like that, and it's been around forever, but it was very good. It's the dining room's on the tenth floor, so you are just sitting up, looking way out on the horizon and mm-hmm. looking down on the beach. Um, the, uh, the dining room staff was very accommodating that night. Um, lots of seafood steaks and specialties like saffron risotto, seafood cannelloni. It was very, very nice. Down in Glen Eden, just beyond Salishan, there's a place called the Side Door Cafe. Glen Eden is a tiny little spot. Um, you would drive right by it and, and never know it. You have to turn off um, onto the Glen Eden Beach Loop and go in there, but it gets nothing but rave reviews. Delicious salads, pastas, burger and salmon cakes, um, entrees are things like Oregon hazelnut encrusted pork medallions. Little tiny place, very nice inside and surprised at the quality. Down in Newport, April's at Nye Beach is one of my all-time favorites. It's, again... They use a lot of local product, local owners. Um, the, in fact, the restaurant owners own Buzzard Hill Farm, and they grow a lot of their own ingredients. Mm. And it, their presentation, the quality, the food, the flavors, excellent. Now, they have uh, a lot of shellfish in there since they're so close oh, to yeah. the Willapa there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of seafood and shellfish. And then down really in uh, – right in Newport, there's a local ocean seafoods that is very good, and it's a uh, store. It's a market as well. So you can buy your fresh fish in there, or you can sit down very casually on the bottom floor, but there's a more um, formal, not formal, but less casual restaurant upstairs as well. So that's kind of fun to do, and you're looking right out on all the boats. Saffron Salmon is another favorite. It's right in the heart of the Newport uh, Bay area, right at the end of a pier on Bayfront, and you get to just have the freshest seafood. You're watching the boats it came in on through huge windows. There's sea lions down there to watch. Um, it's a beautiful thing to look out. There's com- contemporary art throughout the restaurant, chowders, salads, crab and shrimp cakes, grilled cauliflower steak, 
uh, just anything you can think of. Now, we put this out, this information out on the website, and we had one reader who got back and said, I cannot believe you left Alf Restaurant Beck. And I did not even find that. But it is owned by Stormy and Justin Wills. Justin was a James Beard semifinalist for the Best Chef Northwest 2012 and 2013 and the People's Choice Award Best New Chef U.S. nominee by Food & Wine magazine. So I'm thinking our reader has an excellent plan. I did look at the website, and it looked kind of tasty. Yeah. To wrap it up, as you're on your way home, if you don't go along the coast and you want to cut back in through the the wine area, make a stop in at McMinnville. Um, you've got to go to La Rambla. They mm-hmm. do cold and hot tapas. They have paella, you won't believe. The flavors are just amazing. Uh, it's a great wine list. They have very eclectic music that's interesting. Even the lights hanging over the tables are are really lovely. There's just really nothing but good here. Always a highlight when we go to McMinnville, and they uh, recently opened up a sort of a Creole restaurant right on the other side of the building there. So they've they've basically got two locations side by side now, and I'm looking forward to trying that place next time I'm down. Oh, yeah, if I can bear to not be at La Rambla. Thanks for joining us on our second Seattle Dining Show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on Subscribe Free. We want you to dine well, dine safe, and dine often. And don't cook like Tom's mother. And don't cook like my mother. See you next time. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.